My guest this week is Dan Abrahams, co-founder of Currency Transfer. We talk about how he decided to move to Israel to take advantage of Tel Aviv's startup culture, how he built Currency Transfer, and the marketing lessons he learned along the way. Welcome to episode 164 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh, helping you keep your marketing strategies simple and the BS at bay. Hey folks and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you as always for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plug me and my guests into your earphones. This week I've got a fascinating interview with Dan Abrahams. We chat about why Dan's business operates from Tel Aviv in Israel, why being in Israel has generated rapid growth for currency transfer, where the idea for currency transfer came from, how Dan found his target market, developing the business, mistakes made and lessons learned, and how Dan brought currency transfer to market. So let's get straight into that interview with Dan right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Dan, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hi, thank you. It's a real pleasure to, to be on your show. Dan, tell me, where are we Skyping each other from now? I'm in Edinburgh, as always. So I'm currently sat in Tel Aviv. Um, so we're an Anglo-Israeli fintech company. We've got offices in in London and sunny Tel Aviv. <laughs> I, I bet the temperatures are a heck of a lot hotter than it is here in Edinburgh. Honestly, it is absolutely freezing in Scotland today. Absolutely freezing. <laughs> it, it is. It's that time of the year at the moment where... You're not really sure when you wake up in the morning and think, am I putting a T-shirt and shorts on or is this, a, is this a jumper and a coat day? But yeah, I can't complain. The weather is far nicer than than it is growing up in, in London. <laughs> well, you're definitely the first person on the Marketing and Finance podcast that I've spoken to from Israel. And in the uh, green room when we were talking there just before I hit record, you were telling me that Israel has an amazing startup culture for starting up businesses. So that certainly sounds like something we can have a chat about. But before we get into fintech and we start talking about the company that you've launched, Currency Transfer, tell me a little bit about your background, Dan, where you came from, how your career developed, and basically what makes Dan Abrahams tick? Yeah, I'm Dan Abrahams, CEO of CurrencyTransfer.com. Um, I grew up actually in northwest London in a in a place called Hendon. I went to Highgate School, then graduated with uh, a degree in international business from Manchester University. And part of that degree, I spent a year on exchange in Sydney. And I'm 30 years old and basically first time entrepreneur. So I guess six months after I uh, graduated, I got together with my co-founder and, and business partner, Stevan, who's our CTO. Um, mused around sort of the problems that we wanted to solve in the world. And, and for me, it was around foreign exchange being really one of the last areas of, of financial services where the end customer truly doesn't know what they're paying. Yeah. So that was kind of my starting point and getting ripped off paying my tuition fees in, in, in Sydney, Australia was definitely a, uh, a motivating factor in, in wanting to basically start a business um, and, and really look to solve some some problems that I saw in the world. So yeah, I'm, I'm British, as you can probably tell by the accent, and 
the the whole Israel Tel Aviv thing is um, very much a result of sort of the growth of our company and and our and our startup uh, that links to getting investment from very well respected Israeli uh, angel investors and. I was spending more and more time out here, um, one week of the month in, in, in Israel, three weeks in London, working with sort of, you know, hangers on in our business, helping us <laughs> with various aspects of our growth. And I thought, hang on a second, let me flip this on its head and spend sort of three weeks in Israel, one week in London. And it kind of, this amazing ecosystem sucked me in and I uh, sort of went all in and, and emigrated at the, uh, I think it was the beginning of late 2014 or beginning of 2015. Came here very much young, free, and single, enjoying the uh, Tel Aviv uh, nightlife and uh, and beach and and so on and so forth. And now married with a seven-month-old baby. So uh, yeah, lots uh, happens. That's very much my uh, my CV in a nutshell. And what is it about? Israel that's so innovative and forward-looking. It certainly sounds like you've found uh, a hub of innovation that's obviously made you emigrate to a different country. What, what is it about the culture over there that's promoting the development of financial technology? Yes, yeah, so I think it's, it's important to also set a little bit of context that will kind of lead into to a real sort of direct answer to that question. I think when we were a very, very sort of um, small team of just me, my co-founder and a designer, it's an interesting story, actually. I we were looking for an office in London um, to sort of graduate out of. We were based at that time at Google campus, and uh, and it was a real struggle. We uh, we really couldn't, you know, figure out where we wanted to go. We were having a little bit of problems with sort of, you know, our strategy, the growth of our, you know, the way, the direction we should take the business. Um, and uh, we read a really interesting blog post. I think it was by a company called Buffer, mm-hmm. who basically wrote around how they think about um, distributed teams. And, and I think at the stage that they were at, they, the founder and a couple of his, uh, his sort of close associates, they kind of spent a few months in, 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 a, in a few different um, startup ecosystems and effectively moved their company from A to B. And, and I, I was really inspired by this blog post. And, you know, at the time when we were having sort of, you know, a few growth challenges and figuring out, you know, which way to sort of iterate and iterate the product until, you know, we really found our, as cheesy as it sounds, product market fit. Mm-hmm. We, we kind of, we thought, let's go and live in a startup ecosystem for, for three months. Let's really immerse ourselves with, you know, some brilliant minds and people and, and, and get, real sort of access to talent on the ground. And um, we assessed potentially going to New York, but the time zone wasn't very favorable. We looked at Berlin and that just wasn't so appealing. And and Tel Aviv came out as a, as a potential option. Just to set some context, um, my mother's Israeli, so I had a, a whole big family. She has sort of five brothers, three sisters over in Israel. Right. Um, we read about, you know, there was this book called The Startup Nation listing all the accolades of Israel as a real number two after the Silicon Valley on many different metrics with respect to, to growth of tech businesses. It's got more startups per capita um, than anywhere else in the world, sort of more R&D centers per capita than anywhere else in the world. And a very, very sort of concentrated, somewhat incestuous, um, you know, ecosystem where where pretty much everyone 
to some degree looks out for one another. And so, you know, with with a two hour time difference, a five five hour flight and and basically a, a very, very well established ecosystem that could sort of help evolve almost the creation of currencytransfer.com. We moved me, my co-founder and our head of design, three person company, uh, over to Tel Aviv and it was just a it, just an amazing three months and and that sort of planted the seed in my head when I came back to London. Well hang on a second. Um, strategically as a business, it could be a very interesting idea to to almost position ourselves as as a as an Anglo Israeli fintech company. Very soon after the launch of the platform, we got some angel investment from some fantastic folks over in 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 Tel Aviv, and that was a a big sort of driving factor in me actually moving over and and emigrating to Israel. I mean, it's a very very small. Uh, it's a very young country, I should say, and it's an emigrant nation. And so when you think about a young emigrant nation, typically, um, not typically, but you, you, you have tremendously different sort of nationalities and, and, and a variety of talent. And I think that's what you see um, when doing business over here, that you know, there are, it's almost a melting pot of nationalities. And what that breeds is a really strong sort of diversity of talent. I think the fact that going to the army is um, is mandatory in Israel breeds sort of that sort of win at all costs type mentality. You know, if they take that sort of battleground experience <laughs> into the world of startup life, it's I'm really going to break through the wall to make this startup a success um, because they've been through probably within sort of army life, um, you know, many other bigger challenges um, and lots of other sort of, you know, reasons as to what makes Israel such a, a wonderful, um, you know, ecosystem. There's a lot of access to venture capital and, and funding. So the idea that, you know, you can build a startup and that sort of no fear mentality that failure is is okay, you just use it as a learning curve, I think is, is very well received in Israel. Um, and so, again, a young startup wanting to basically you know, take their presentation into a working prototype and then into an MVP, a minimum viable product. I think, you know, you have a very, very well-established um, grounding in Israel to go out and do that. And and lastly, I think it's an interesting um, story from the book, The Startup Nation, that really sort of points to why it's become such a tech superpower. It's really accepted to be a tech entrepreneur. I think in London or, or New York, if you turn around to your mother and your grandma and say, hey, I'm going to be a tech entrepreneur and I'm going to do a startup, I think you know the typical reaction might be, well, hang on a second, shouldn't you be actually a lawyer or an accountant or, or, or something along those lines? But in Israel, because there are so many success stories on the news on a daily basis around, you know, this company got acquired for over a billion and that company is a unicorn that is value, you know, got sold for over a billion. And, you know, there's exit after exit that, that these sort of parents generation and grandparents generation are seeing. It's almost like if you go and say, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, it, it's almost very well accepted, which I think is tremendously different when you look at life outside in in other sort of countries where it's probably more the norm to go out and be a, a banker, or a lawyer or an accountant. It's interesting how you've um, obviously been fast tracked to a certain extent by being in that environment. Do you think your company would have grown as well and as quickly as it has done had you decided to base yourself in London or New York, given what you've said? And so we're, 
I mean, we're a very well-balanced team between London and Tel Aviv. There's actually more folks in London. One of the biggest and most valuable lessons that I've kind of learned through my my own investors sort of closer to home and in the wider sort of ecosystem, it's, you know, there's a tremendous emphasis placed on sort of, you know, speed, momentum, rapid iteration when it comes to sort of building a tech product. And those values around just never being satisfied and always striving just to make your product that little bit better isn't something that was so commonplace when I was hanging around sort of Shoreditch or whatever, mm. um, really building this from from the ground up. But since coming to Israel, and maybe it's just a function of, you know, the type of investors that I have, many of some of whom have, have been sort of very early stage investors in, in various companies that have sold for a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. Um, it's just that that utter focus on rapid iteration, speed, momentum, which I think are very, very good values when when you're looking to build not just a lifestyle business, but, but in reality, a, a global business. This is really interesting. So let's dig a little bit deeper into the development of currency transfer, Dan. Um, I'm looking at uh, the information that you sent me through, and there's, there's some really interesting stuff here. I love the quote that you've put up. Banks are very good at certain things, but with the greatest respect, they suck at others. You also talk on your website about your core principles of being totally price transparent and going for equal access and, and focusing on customer choice. Talk me through the idea for currency transfer and how you started to build it and where the idea came from and and how the company developed. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, the biggest inspiration um, was really shared problems that me and my founder faced even a few years before we built the first version of currencytransfer.com. I do go back to the time where I was studying in, in Australia and I needed to pay tuition fees from pound sterling into Aussie dollars, mm. wired bank account to bank account. And I was mortified that, A, you know, there were fees just coming in all direction, a sending fee, a, a, a receiving fee, a spread built into the exchange rate and sort of studying the market in a little bit more depth when I was buying my holiday money to when I was living in Australia and, and, and sort of traveling frequently between, as frequently as you can between the UK and Australia. And, and you see sort of the retail travel money bureaus out there saying, you know, we offer 0% commission, but really most people should know that there are huge fees built into the exchange rate. It just taught me that, again, foreign exchange is one of the last areas of financial services where the end company truly doesn't know what they're paying or the end consumer. And on a macro level, I really studied what was going on in the world. And, and for me, in any industry where one sees inefficiencies, you're going to see, or you, we are seeing marketplaces disrupt. So whether it's the way we book our, our transportation now with apps like Uber or Lyft or Get Taxi, um, which is the most popular one actually here in Israel, is Get Taxi popular in London? Never heard of it, so I assume the answer is no. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I mean, so from a transportation perspective, you know, marketplaces are disrupting from a um, travel perspective, you know, the idea of going to your local high street travel agent is is probably not as efficient as just hopping on to kayak or booking.com or the way we book our sort of, you know, accommodation now through platforms like Airbnb and and, and these types of two-sided marketplaces for sort of travel accommodation. And so, when I looked at it on a macro level and, and really saw 
back to that point that when in any industry where there are inefficiencies, marketplace is disrupting, and almost paired that up with my personal problem of foreign exchange being incredibly expensive, opaque, confusing. I thought, hang on a second, I want to start a tech business. I've had some chats with my partner. He's also traveled around Europe. He's had some personal pain around sort of moving money and so on and so forth. There isn't a global payments marketplace that exists. It's a $5 trillion a day turnover industry. So obviously, you've got to do your research. You, you know, if you want to build a big global company like any kind of young entrepreneur does, there, there were some good things going on behind the scenes, almost pairing up the problem, pairing almost on a macro level a view of, of where usage is going in the, in, in the world of tech to drive, to drive efficiencies and picking a pretty large market. And so, you know, that, that was really our starting point. You know, we didn't have the masterpiece in terms of knowing to a T what we're going to sort of build, but the essence of, of the business plan was very much framed around the problem that we wanted to solve. I don't think a lot of people probably realize they've got a problem with this. I'm just trying to think of my own personal experience now. I'm one of these people, I do quite a lot of travel, maybe not as much international travel as I used to do, but I will be that person who leaves it until I'm at the airport before I actually yeah. go and start thinking about my currency. <coughs> and and of course, at the airport, that will be the worst place I imagine to get your currency because their exchange rates will be probably the lowest they'll have, yeah. or they'll say they're zero commission like you've said but they'll have built in the fee anyway but I'm just that one rushing for the plane thinking oh my god I need 500 quid's worth of um, United Arab Emirates or whatever it is um, euros quickly here's my passport here's my card give me 500 quid in currency and I'm off and I don't even think about well, how much yeah. is this actually costing me? And, you know, you get the receipt, don't you? Stick it in your wallet. I never even look at it. I, I think the shock factor for you was probably, or, or I'm sure other listeners was, you know, obviously as a result of Brexit and, and other bits and pieces, when you probably showed up at the airport bureau and you weren't probably able to get more than one euro for your one pound. That um, what that was a defining <laughs> moment. Yeah, that, that was, was a probably defining... a defining moment that you should have been a little bit more, uh, you know, you should have planned a little bit more in advance. But yeah, I mean, airport bureaus are, are, are obviously the world's worst. I think that is a function that airport rents are probably um, amongst the highest in the world. In addition to obviously you're a captive, uh, you're a captive consumer mm. and the spreads you're paying as a as a privilege for that convenience let's say is somewhere between on average 10 to 20 percent mm. of the value of your transfer sort of built into the rate and so we actually don't focus on travel money at currencytransfer.com we are very much around global payments so right. on a and more and more so focused on small to medium-sized businesses or as we like to call them mini multinationals so our target market is very much around importers, exporters, tour and travel companies, the growing rise of e-tailers. So I believe we live on a in a virtual high street at the moment. <laughs> the high street is dying, so to speak. And what we're seeing emerge is a growing wave of, to some degree, bedroom entrepreneurs that aren't just selling sort of a few bits and pieces that's left over in the shed, but actually turning over hundreds of thousands, if not millions a year on some of these platforms like Amazon, eBay, and, and so on. And we help those guys when they're 
sort of importing their products from China, Europe, wherever it may be, but then also helping them repatriate those profits back home. So our our core, what I you know, product market fit is very much around mini multinationals and helping businesses succeed on a global level that are probably getting a raw deal from the bank, not just around price, but also um, some of the things that you should be able to do as a small business um, with respect to hedging and and so on that we can come on to. Yeah, hopefully, you know, the the, pro- the ultimate sort of problem we want to solve is is to help companies boost their bottom line, and particularly if you're a business that is operating on tight margins. You know, the difference between a a bank who might take a three to five percent spread and and using a global payments marketplace like CurrencyTransfer.com c- can make a big difference. And we also do a little bit of personal payments. So, um, but we focus on high value transfers. So if you're buying a property in in the south of France or Tel Aviv or or, or Spain, uh, or you're emigrating from country to country and you need to move uh, large amounts of money, those are the kind of two segments that we, we very much hone in on. And even that's a lot. So from a marketing perspective, as a, as a company of 20 operating between two offices, um, you know, we're, we're quite bold in our approach almost to do B2B and B2C. And I think as the company scales and grows, we're going to be much more focused around sort of product messaging, language and growth for small to medium sized businesses. But you had the idea you wanted to build this business. What was the next step? You're in Israel. How did you go about building the currency transfer infrastructure? So what's really interesting is we actually launched CurrencyTransfer.com in 2015. Mm. So mid-2014, we announced the um, the product at a big fintech show called Finnovate. So it's a demo-based conference, very scary, had to present for sort of six minutes to an you know an audience of about 600 people yeah. um, without a working product. It was really just an announcement um, just to drum up some sort of interest in, in, in what we were about to launch. But what's super interesting is what I wanted to launch in 2015, uh, what I did launch, sorry, in 2015, I actually wanted to launch in 2011 mm-hmm. when me and my co-founder got together. But the market just wasn't ready. Okay. Build what we built in 2015 is is predicated on very very deep technology integrations with multiple currency companies worldwide who provide their their rates and their um, and, and and lots of other functionality so that our users can can log online access um, you know the the value of our payment partners effectively plugging their rates into our platform. But fintech wasn't as evolved and mature in, in 2011. Um, we build our product on APIs, which is basically just a fancy term of, of, of my system connecting with someone else's system. And rather than sort of get a job and, and, and go off and, and basically, you know, wait until the market was ready, me and my partner basically launched a, effectively a digital marketing business for the money transfer industry. So we, we built various web properties that almost acted as like a money supermarket for currency. They were, they were like information sites that drove lead generation into the likes of Western Union, Money Court, MoneyGram, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think that's a really valuable startup lesson that, you know, even though the masterpiece we wanted to build in 2015 wasn't quite ready for us in 2011, rather than look at it as though, you know, I just can't attack this industry. We really figured that it would be a good idea 
to build relationships, build rapport with all the key players, country by country, continent by continent, um, and make some money along the way. So, so we launched lots of websites that via SEO and content creation basically drove really valuable content and information to visitors around what the best way to move money around the world was. And they basically just outlinked into these payment partners that, that gave us a revenue share. Um, so it was a very much an affiliate marketing business. And then sort of year on year, getting into the, uh, the ecosystem more and more, APIs becoming publicly available, the ability for my tech to integrate with someone else's tech was was much more commonplace. And yeah, I mean, it was it's just a real sort of classic sort of startup story of, of, of launching a, a not even an MVP. It was just a, a content business that has basically pivoted into a tech business, which, um, you know, which started out, as I said, in, in 2015 and in the last three years has, has just grown very rapidly more than 10% on average month on month. And yeah, so hopefully that answers that question. There's a real lesson there, as you said. I mean, I love the fact that you had a vision, but actually the technology didn't really exist at the time to fulfill that vision, but you stuck at it. You created the side businesses, the web platforms, etc., and you were playing that long game. And eventually technology caught up and it was able to give you what you needed. And in the meantime, you were effectively warming up the market that eventually you you, you tapped into. And there's loads of different uh, marketing messages and um, relationship building and technology messages in that story. A lot of people would have just said, well, we just can't do this. The technology doesn't exist. And off you go and think of something else. But you actually had a long-term vision and a plan and of course, over the period of time we're talking about, which let's face it, I've worked for some companies where it's taken two years to build an insurance product. This, the timescale you're talking about isn't really that long, but look how much change happened in that short period of time to enable you to get to market. Absolutely. And just to kind of revert back to the story of, of, of going to Israel, and it was at exactly that time we were transitioning basically from a an affiliate marketing business into being a, a very deep technology company. Um, and so, yeah, I think patience as a, as an entrepreneur is, is exceptionally key. Um, it is an endurance test and you're not going to create the masterpiece on, on day one. So, um, the best you can do is, is obviously, you know, build the relationships and get closer and closer. And even where we are now, there is, you know, I still very much feel we're in gear one, there's a tremendous product roadmap ahead of us. And um, I'll look, probably look back in three years' time and laugh as to where we are today, so to speak. Sure. Tell me now about the launch then of <coughs> Currency Transfer and how you got it to market and what success you've had since you launched. Well, we soft launched sort of late 2014. And when I say soft launch, it was kind of the whole story of your your classic beta users your first cousin uncle grandpa and you know best mates friend who needs to move money from a to b and so i think as a fintech company in particular it's not like building the next instagram or social app where if bugs happen and if mistakes happen it doesn't really matter let's just go for user growth at all costs <laughs> yeah i think building a fintech company and your your marketplace is predicated on helping clients get their money from a to b you need to, to, to grow in a much more controlled fashion because, uh, you know, mistakes simply can't happen. And I think that is, um, 
you know, that's something that definitely when I sort of speak and mentor others, fintech entrepreneurs, is, is definitely a consistent that is very much around this industry. The launch was was great. We, we took a PR agency, a company called Hotwire in London that, that pretty much got us to all the, uh, the major tech publications who found our story very unique and interesting. The fact that, you know, we're, we're not a bank, we're not a, an old school Smiler and Dialer currency broker. We're not one of these sort of peer-to-peer matches. We are that sort of marketplace platform experience layer that sits on top of multiple foreign exchange and payment companies. And I think that really resonated with many of the sort of bloggers and, and tech journalists that, that covered our story. You had that sort of spike on Google Analytics in, <laughs> on the it went out and, and lots of phone calls from trading various different trading floors in the city. I saw you on, on uh, CNBC, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, it, it was great. But after the big spike, the real hard work begins. And um, again, that's another sort of startup story. Many companies get funded on that spike, but then when it kind of goes back to the to, to zero, so to speak, it's it, it's that hard slog. Fast forward three years, uh, we've helped our, our our clients trade close to a half a billion dollars. We're constantly tinkering. It's even now around our product market fit. We started off very much kind of, I guess, and this is a real marketing lesson, so to speak. Very grabby. We wanted every type of customer because when you've got when you've got some mouths to feed and you, you've got to eat yourself, yeah. it, it can be very um, you know you, you can be a bit greedy in terms of. Well, I started this out just for businesses, but then this client came along who's buying a house. So you know, do we trade him? Do we not sort of trade him on the marketplace? And so, um, if I were to start this whole thing again, I would have been much more focused around certain user segments rather than basically let's try and onboard every type yeah. of client we possibly can. Um, so that was some valuable, really real early lessons. And yeah, it's, it's just been a real sort of whirlwind three years. Growth has been, has been really pleasing to see that kind of moment you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, the machine's working. I'm not doing sort of, there's not sort of five transfers a week going through the platform, but then there are, there are now sort of, you know, dozens and dozens is a, is a really pleasing feeling. And it's just been a real amazing journey, sort of building this two-sided marketplace, because which are bloody difficult to build, by the yeah. way, where it's the whole chicken and the egg. If you don't have enough sort of infrastructure to offer the end users, they're not going to do anything. And if you have too many end users, but you can't service um, the requirements. So I've been traveling a lot with, with members of my team, sort of building that, that infrastructure and footprint and pleased that we're now in a position where we've got coverage across the marketplace to accept payments in sort of London and, and, and Spain and France and Australia and Canada and Israel through the integrations we've done with various currency companies around the world. And, and on the user side, we're just getting a lot better and better in terms of figuring out the right type of user. We, we have a minimum transaction size of 5K, which is soon going to go up to 10K. So what that kind of differentiates you from is that migrant worker who's sending three, four hundred bucks back home. Mm. I think that's a, a quite a well-serviced and invested in space where there are lots of, of funky apps out there. But as I said, where, where we think there is a big blue ocean is businesses that are very much underserved by their bank. And yeah, we're just focused on, on importers, exporters, foreign travel companies, as I said, charities, e-tailers, and really sort of helping the, the heartbeat of the economy really go global in as efficient, low cost, where possible and flexible as way possible, putting control and, and transparency back into those users' hands. So it's, uh, 
a long answer to that question, but hopefully that gives you a flavor of, of, of some of the, uh, the things that have gone on since we launched the business. Very interesting and lots of stories coming out of that, marketing stories, tech stories, love it, love it. Let's get a little bit personal as we come towards the end of the interview now, Dan. You've just launched a podcast, haven't you? I have indeed. So I'm very, presumably like you, I'm very bullish on voice. They don't just sell you information or you're not just consuming information. They're giving you back to some degree your time. Mm. You know, when you're sort of watching a... uh, I don't know, it's very difficult to go to the gym and watch, read a blog post or even to some degree watch a YouTube video. And so I, I'm a big believer that anything that sort of reduces friction, allows you to some degree to multitask is definitely the way forward. And um, we as a company are very much focused around branding ourselves and to mini multinationals. Mm. So we launched a podcast called Mini Multinational um, there's not a, as much content on there at the moment as 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 your podcast, Roger. But it it went live today. I recorded a um, I was a bit nervous actually. I recorded a first episode that kind of set the scene as to what the podcast is is looking to achieve with respect to sort of interviewing um, successful entrepreneurs that have taken their business global. Clearly, you know, we're doing this from a from a, a lead generation and marketing standpoint, and so hopefully we're going to get some listeners. We're actually launching also a second podcast. Um, my COO, Paul, does now a daily vlog around you know what's going on in the currency markets. We feel our sort of direct competition, most of them are sort of cold calling up CEOs, CFOs, picking up the yellow pages, and, and we think that's kind of marketing like it's 2010 or 1999. And we are very much trying to build our growth hacks and our, our, our acquisition around where we believe attention currently is today and, and, and voice is, is going to be an ever-growing part of that together with obviously, you know, the stuff we're doing around video. So, so yeah, I'm very excited about Mini Multinational. I think it's also a really good opportunity for me to learn as an entrepreneur building a Mini Multinational myself, how others do it. I really love the format. It's almost like you're having a weekly business meeting with someone, just that you're getting hopefully dozens if not hundreds if not thousands of listeners to to your business meeting so yeah i'm really excited about it if anyone wants to subscribe it's called mini multinational and and hopefully from next week onwards we're going to get some really great content so much of what you say there is absolutely absolutely right resonates with me this is why i do the podcast and one of the reasons i stick with the podcast is because I'm giving my listeners value by having interviews with people like yourself, but I'm also learning stuff as well. Every person that I interview teaches me something and I've never, never had an ego to, um, uh, to suggest that I can't stop learning. I'm learning every day. And a lot of the, every guest who comes on the show teaches me something. And it's another example of a long game. You know, I think the average life of a podcast is seven episodes so you've got to do at least six more dan you've got to do at least six more so one of the things i also ask my um, guest dan is about specific marketing campaigns or products that you've seen in the last year or so that have really attracted your attention so have you got an example of a marketing campaign or a product that you've really sat up and thought wow i'd love a piece of that tell me what it was and what you liked about it I would go back to what we've just been discussing. I think the single biggest 
evolution that I'm seeing that's getting value for companies, small and large, is voice mm. as a theme. I, I, you know, I'm so bullish around the benefits on so many levels people are getting out of podcasting. I think Amazon, Alexa, and I do see a time where you know we walk into our offices and and say turn the lights on and the lights are on, or we're looking at things around AI um, to help our quest for frictionless finance. So you know whether that's in-app notifications when um, exchange rates are going in a certain direction for a client that is regularly trading those currency pairings. I think AI is interesting, voice is incredibly interesting on, on a few levels and, and the one that I'm paying most attention to at the moment is is podcasting. But it's interesting because with podcasting, how do I go back to one of my investors and say the true ROI of my podcasting efforts, either as a guest or a uh, post of a podcast? I think when you look at a very successful PPC campaign, you know, you can pull up a report and to to a T, Hmm. you know, you're looking at the unit economics and you're seeing the cost per acquisition. I think the more and more you go top of the funnel doing content, inbound, brand, voice, podcasting, I actually believe these platforms or these ways of growing a business can significantly outweigh the very traditional cookie cutter and visible metrics that I can present to an investor, my team, the board, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, I I will always fight the battle that podcasting, voice, and some of the ways that we do non-paid marketing is really where consumer attention is today. Mm, Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Content and engagement as opposed to being sold to forcefully and interrupted. Dan, what about books? Have you read a really good business book recently? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, Tim Ferriss, The Tribe of Mentors mm. is a great book. Have you read it? It's bloody big, isn't it? It's it, ar- it arrived book, on a yeah. lorry. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm much more sort of kind of guy that consumes sort of content on uh, on my mobile or Netflix. I don't really do books, but getting into them <laughs> more and more so in, in recent times, and Tribe of Mentors is is really great. I, I, I love the way it, it's laid out. It's almost every chapter is three pages asking exactly the same questions from so many different inspiring people in so many different areas. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of interesting sort of, you know, business life lessons that I've tried to take from the book and, and, and apply in in real life. So, yeah, I would tremendously recommend your listeners to buy Tim Ferriss's book, The Tribe of Mentors. Fantastic. Dan, it has been awesome to talk to you today. So many interesting subjects covered, marketing lessons, technology lessons, entrepreneurial lessons, building businesses in all sorts of different countries. And of course, that interesting stuff we were talking about at the start, that that innovation hub, that uh, startup hub that Israel has turned into. Fascinating to talk to you. Really enjoyed it this afternoon. Before we go, I'm sure there's going to be people listening to the show who are going to want to get in touch with you. So, Dan, what is the best way that people can connect with you? Absolutely. Anyone can email me, daniel at currencytransfer.com or tweet me, dan underscore currency. And again, a shameless plug, if there are any mini multinationals out there that that are interested in, uh, in hearing me interview very interesting people on a weekly basis, please do subscribe to to my new podcast, which is Mini Multinational. 
I will include the link to that podcast <laughs> and your email address, Twitter, etc., in the show notes for the podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. Dan, great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. I know you've got to get back to your wife now, so I'll let you go, but hopefully we'll be able to meet in London and have a proper coffee or a proper coffee shop at some point. Absolutely. Thank you, Roger. It was a, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.